The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Tonight we're going to turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 34, if you have one, with you. And this is our second to last look at the book of Exodus. Um, So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read our passage for us tonight and then pray and ask for God's help, and then we are going to look at this together. So, I'm going to read, picking up in uh, verse 27 of Exodus 34, and the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, as Moses, he neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. But Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets for the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain. Moses did did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold the skin of his face and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near. And he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Wherever, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, excuse me, I'm about to sneeze. He would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the people of Israel what he was commanded the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. Speak with him. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand your words as we look at this together, to treasure the mercy that you have given us, and Lord, to see your perfected mercy for us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Does anybody uh, does anybody keep a journal, like um, like a daily or a diary journal or something like that? Like I've kept one for like ten, fifteen years, um, and I had one when I was in high school and then in middle school. Like I would interspersely do and like writing it, and it, I'd go back. I had one that had a little hamster on it, but um, I'll go back and like read my prayers from when I was like a little kid, or like uh, read my journal thoughts from when I was in like middle school and high school, um, and it's. Uh, I'll occasionally go back and kind of look at like important days of like, what was I journaling about like the week before Michelle and I got married, right? Like we were, this is what we're coming up on our 10th anniversary. What was I journaling about on uh, when my sons were born? It's a helpful way to kind of look back and see like where things have been, what I was thinking about. Um, But it can also be a bit depressing (laughs) to look back and see like, oh, I'm still struggling with the same things uh, that I was struggling with 10 years ago. I don't change very quickly, do I? Um, it's been 10 years. Like, I kind of thought that by the time I would be um, bald that I would have, like, you know, gained a bit more wisdom in life and not be as uh, silly about the things that I'm still struggling with. But that's what journals do. They remind us of where we're at and what we've been going, uh, what's been going on and what we, uh, where we struggle and that we do not change very quickly. And here we are at the end of the book of Exodus, and you would think that after seeing God miraculously invade Egypt and save them, provide for them um, with bread from heaven, right? 
uh, give them a sacrifice that his wrath would pass over them and that they would be saved and split waters and walk them through the Red Sea and then meet with them in a cloud of fire and speak to them from a mountain and give them his word that these people would maybe uh, have kind of gotten the picture and not struggle so much. But if you remember from a couple weeks ago, um, Pastor Jeff preached on the golden calf. So we just, they had been saved out of Egypt. And while Moses is up talking to God and receiving the Ten Commandments, um, they get a little antsy. Uh, the people of Israel in the story, they get a little antsy and they're like, well, let's all gather together our gold, throw the gold into the fire, and out pops this golden calf. And what's worse of the golden calf? That does not go very well for them. But it's a reminder for them as we look at this story that we don't change very quickly. They don't change very quickly. We have something in common with them, right? That here they are. They're talking about a couple years at this point, maybe, of, of history of the book, maybe 18 months into the story. Things have not changed very quickly. Yet we find that as they are not changing very quickly, that we are not that much different. And it feels like as we're getting to the end of the story, um, I don't know if you got, I tried to find the term for this, but there's not technically a term, but when you finish a story, You've got like that kind of like depression of like, oh, like the story's over. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you finish the story, you're like, oh, I wish it could keep going on. As we're coming here to the end of this story, there's a bit of um, an anticipation of like, oh, things are not going the way I kind of thought the story was going to go. And I'm going to be a little bit sad when we're done with it. Because here we are at the end of the story, and God has come in and saved them, and he's delivered them from Egypt, and he has rescued them, he's provided for them. And yet here they are still at the end of the story with the golden calf and everything else. They're still struggling. There's still a sense in which um, high promises, and yet there's still uh, something to be desired, right? They, are, they aren't quite where they were hoping to be, right? And I think that as we are getting to the end of the story, we're supposed to feel a bit sad about things haven't quite gone the way we thought they would, right? They haven't quite been freed to the extent that we thought they would, right? They were hoping for salvation and yet here they are still worshiping um, golden calves right but here we have the story at the end it's a bit of a weird kind of drop in towards the end of the story right of Moses going in to talk to God and then getting a shining face and veiling his face so what's all that about I think that this little story we're looking at Moses the shining face and the veil it's kind of one of the last markers in the story as we're moving towards the ending that we're supposed to see and look back at the story and look into the heart of the story to see ourselves. And so what we're going to be doing is we're just going to look at three things in this story. We're going to see God, we're going to see ourselves, and we're going to see change. Right? So we're just going to look at three things, God, ourselves, and change. And I think simply looking at that through this story, we're going to begin to see God's mercy for us in Jesus. So we're going to look at point one. By the way, uh, I did these slides, so Jay did not. Um, so they're going to be more simple tonight, right? <laughs> so, point one, we're going to be seeing God. Chapter 34, verse 28 to 32. Right, so this is just coming off the golden calf where um, Moses had to intervene for them to not be destroyed by God. And he goes in, right? So he's spending time with God in verse 28. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. 
and he wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Right, so here's Moses in God's presence, speaking with God. And as we've been looking at this story, we have been continually seeing that God is the only reliable character in this entire story, right? Um, Moses a little bit, but we know later on in the story that Moses gets a little angry, has a bit of an anger problem. Hope for the rest of us, we have anger problems. God still uses Moses, has an anger problem, and diverts it away from being a focus on God and Moses this whole story has been about God. And here's Moses talking to God face to face, so to speak. And we're reminded that through this whole story, God's been the only one who's been faithful, right? Everybody else freaked out when things didn't go the way they wanted. God's been the only one who's been holy. Nobody else needed a sacrifice to be near other people. God needed atonement for sin, right? God is the one who's gracious. Remember all the ten, we looked at the ten plagues. Remember how we looked at the ten plagues? And there's a way you could read that of saying like, oh, look how mean God is. But I think that that's in the story to say, look, God's gracious and merciful and he's slow to exercise full, his judgment on people, right? God is gracious and he's faithful. And this is the God that Moses is talking with, right? He is totally different than everything that we would have expected because this whole story is all about, in some ways, seeing our expectations confront the reality of who God is, right? God is not, a God who comes in and just slaughters everybody, you know, and just sends them all off the edge of the world. No, God comes in and he wants to save. And he's actually saving Egyptians out of this whole story. And so God is coming in and saving people to himself to make a new nation and a new people, to make his name look great. And Moses is spending time with this God. And what happens, right? When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, verse 29, the two tablets and the testimony in his hand. He came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the, fa- the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Right, so Moses, Moses spending time with this God who is glorious and magnificent and totally different and the presence of God changes his face, right? Like, I'm not exactly sure how that works. Um, it's one of those things where you kind of like suddenly like... Um, Moses like, gets a glow stick like rubbed on his face. I'm not sure what that is. But he is now, the, the presence of God has changed him, right? Moses is different by being in the presence of God, right? And it's not just, um, it's not just any presence of God, specifically like up to the story. If you remember, I, I, um, I can't remember if Jeff talked on, talked on this, but the whole situation with the golden calf that's been going down in the story Moses has to go and appeal to God. God, don't strike out, don't, don't destroy your people because they've been worshiping idols and lying about it, right? <laughs> That's the funny part to me about the golden calf story. Like we just, well, we gathered together all our jewelry, we throw it in the fire and out, I don't know, just out walk this golden calf, right? So they're not only being idolatrous, but they're lying about it too. So Moses goes before God and he says, God, don't kill them. They're still your people. You want to make a, your name great for saving a bunch of doofuses like this to be your people, right? These are the people that you like to, to make your name look great with. And God's like, well, here's the thing. I'm going to, um, I'm going to send my angel with you guys now. And um, so I'm not going to be able to dwell with them because these people don't, they can't be with me. And Moses' response said, God, kill us if you won't go with us. We must have you with us. We must have you. God, forgive us our sins. And so then God responds and says, okay, I will go. And so the, the context in which Moses is appealing and being with God is God's mercy. Right? God's mercy radiates and it, it, shone, it shines and it changes the darkness of the world around us. 
Wait, if, have you ever been? Have you ever been uh, pulled over by a cop, <laughs> and then you suddenly don't get a ticket that you were expecting? Your face kind of shines, right? Like mercy surprises us. We when we don't get what we deserve, right? When you maybe um, maybe you've maybe not been performing that well at work, and you go in for your job review. And you don't get as bad of a review as you were expecting. I've had that experience. <laughs> I was expecting to get it. I don't know if I could have gotten a paid demotion or a demotion at all, but I was kind of expecting that. Nope. That quite the opposite happening. You, getting what you don't expect, what you don't deserve, right? We, we, we often, uh, our faces kind of respond of like, oh, this is great. Well, this is not just kind of like, Oh, hey, we got off the hook, right? This is, this is God's mercy radiating and changing the face of Moses. It changes the environment of where Moses is. It changes the, the entire context. Here, Moses, I imagine, was walking into God's presence totally kind of demure, right, depressed. God says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to continue to walk with you. Right? Well, we don't, we don't get what we deserve with God's presence. It changes how we respond to things. Right? Seeing God's beauty changes us. But in this story, it's a bit incomplete. One of the things we're going to be doing is we're going to look at this story and we're going to kind of flip to 2 Corinthians because Paul actually talks about this story in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you see that on the screen, it's going to be going back and forth. You guys can look there with me, or I can read it to you, or I am going to read it to you, so you don't have to keep flipping back and forth. But Moses, um, Moses engages in mercy, but it is an incomplete mercy. So Paul, when he's talking about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. Right, so... The, the, the mercy of God to give them the Ten Commandments, to reveal his character to them, that was a, a pure, unadulterated mercy. But it was incomplete. Gaze, they could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. So there is a sense in which this mercy that they are experiencing in the story is radical, it is unprecedented, it's unexpected, and it's incomplete, right? It's, it's, a, it's a crazy mercy, right, that God has said, look, and look, I'm going to save you from a pagan world that's filled with idolatry, and I'm going to take you to be my own people, and they're smuggling pa- pagan idols in their pockets, right? It's a mercy that God would not wipe them off the face of the earth. And yet, it's an incomplete mercy, even with all the great things that they have, right? Remember, we talked about the tabernacle. God's provision to take away sin. Incomplete, right? It's, It's animals being sacrificed for human sins. A priest who's fallen and sinful, still being able to go into God's presence. Not not complete, but partial, right? And here we are at the end of the story. They are seeing these magnificent things of God and yet still not getting the picture, right? It's, it's one of the things that I find fascinating about this, the Bible is that um, often I've, I've had my, my friends who are not Christians 
who have uh, often said something like this to me. Maybe you've thought this or maybe you've heard this. Um, if God would just show me that he's real, I'd believe in him. Like, just, just show me a sign, right? If God would just give me that job that I really want to be able to provide for my family, then I'll believe in him. Or if God would, God would heal my aunt with cancer, then I'll believe in him. If God, if God would just do whatever, some miraculous thing, then I'll believe in him. I don't know if you've ever heard that or, or thought that. But the fascinating thing is that there are plenty of stories in the Bible where God does miraculous things for people and they still don't believe him. I mean, we're talking about a group of people, like a whole nation, like a million people right here who've all walked through a river that was made dry so that they could walk through it. I mean, that's a pretty incredible miracle, right? They've seen all the miracles of this story. They have seen incredible things. I mean, I'm not sure what a fiery cloud looks like for God, to represent God's presence. But if I saw a fiery cloud of God's presence, like I might kind of think like, hey, you know, maybe I shouldn't be worshiping a pagan idol right now in the presence of this God. And still they do. Because I think that the reality is that it's not seeing something that's enough, right? It's, it's not seeing uh, some miracle thing happen that's enough. Sometimes that works, right? Sometimes God does that and people are saved through that way. But... Um, it's not about seeing something, right? It's not about the thing or the miracle that we see because the story, I think, is dropped in here because there's something deeper, there's something unseen, there's something within us that needs healing, that needs saving, that they need and that we need. Right? There's something unseen that is going on that we must look at. So we're going to look at the second thing here. We're going to drop in, pick up here, verse 33. We're going to be seeing ourselves. So Exodus chapter 34, verse 33. So what's been going on is Moses goes up into God's presence, comes back, has a shining face. And whenever, and when Moses had finished speaking with them about, speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the people of Israel what he, had command, what he was commanded. And the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, and the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went back to see him. That's going back to see God. Right, so, so here's what would happen, right? Moses would go into God's presence in the tabernacle and speak to God. And so when you speak to God, you don't need a veil on your face. God can see you wherever you are. So he would speak to God without the veil on his face, talk to God. God would say, here's my commands, right? So he was still telling them all the rest of the, the first five books of the Bible. He was still tell, telling Moses all that. He would get that from God. He would say, okay, got it. Go back into, out of the tabernacle to go see God's people and tell them, here's what God said, right? All the various laws or stories or whatever, and so when he would tell him that, his face was shining, but when he would be done, he would put the veil back over his face. So, so that's kind of like, the, that's the, the way it would happen, right? So face unveiled when he's looking at God, face unveiled when he's telling people what God said, and then otherwise put the veil over his face. And I think the reason people were kind of like, I, I, there's a couple reasons I want to get into about why he put the veil over, but I think one of them would be, 
Here's a sense of like, if you saw somebody with a glowing face, you'd be a bit like gawking at them. You know, you know, it, um, it's not unlike kind of like if you have somebody who has like a um, mustache and got like cream cheese like right on their mustache, like you just, just kind of want to like, like take that off, right? Moses with a shining face, you just kind of, how is that, how is that working? Like, how does that happen? So, I think that's a bit of what's going on, but we see Paul, thankfully, engaging this over again in Second Corinthians. I pull my marker out here. So Paul over in Second Corinthians, chapter three, verse twelve, he says, "Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who could put a veil over his face, who who put a veil over his face, so that all, so the Israelites." might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds but their minds were hardened for this um, sorry, but their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So what Paul is saying is, listen the deal with the veil is not just kind of like they're gawking at God, right? There's not just kind of like this like freak factor that they're looking at Moses trying to figure out the shining face thing. There's actually more going on than what we, what we might read at first blush. I think one of the other things that's going on is that Moses would put the veil over his faces because, um, listen, stop freaking out over the, the shining face and do what God's telling you, right? Like God's given you his word, they're, they're commands, right? They're not suggestions or advice or greeting cards. They're commands, not go obey God's word. So he put the veil over his face. I think the other reason, though, is that he was acting out a parable. Um, Moses putting the veil over his face is acting out a parable, which is what Paul's picking up on, right? There's a veil over their hearts. There's a veil over their hearts so that they don't understand what they're seeing. And so the Bible has this happen all over the place where where a prophet will kind of be a picture of what is actually going on in the inside of somebody. So Moses puts a veil over his face because what Moses is giving them, the, the, all the, the Torahs so or the first five books of the Bible, it's incomplete, it's insufficient to change the inner problem that they have, right? There, there's a problem beneath the problem, right? They've, they've just, um, the problem that they have like at the foreview, right? They still feel guilty about is this whole idolatry thing they've just done, right? Golden calf in the fire, out pops golden calf, all that stuff. That's all still kind of like in the background. They still feel guilty about it, but they haven't gotten to the problem beneath the problem, the deeper problem, the problem that is within the heart that rose right to the center of who they are, right? They have not seen themselves, Right? They have not seen into the meaning of who they are, right? So, so the veil thing that Moses is doing is being a parable. The problem is not that you've been given enough commands, now go do it, um, and you're just not doing it hard enough or doing it long enough or doing enough. The problem is you. The problem is me. The problem resides right inside Right, there's, we have a heart that does idolatry. We don't just have hands that make idols. We have a heart that produces idols, that loves idols, that loves other things than God, and not just hands that like to do things that don't please God. See, the, the story here is, 
it's not so much of how do we keep the regulations, it's actually, you can't. Your heart cannot keep God's word, God's commands. It cannot act like God, it cannot be like God when it has not been freed from yourself. Right, you and I are the problem. We must see ourselves in this, right? There, I find it fascinating, uh, for example, we are, it's just to show you one illustration of why we are the problem, right? If self-help books were legitimately, like, effective, they would eventually stop being produced, right? <laughs> you, you would think that they would kind of, like, you know, you get enough variations on who people are and how they kind of process the world, and you get enough self-help books, and people would stop being stupid all the time, right? And doing bad things and uh, being mean to each other or whatever. <laughs> you would think that, um, you know, Dummy's Guide to Self-Help we kind of solve the problem. <laughs> it's not a factor of putting in enough work or hard enough, right? That, that's the problem. We, we can't, we, we like to think of like fixing ourselves or change or getting better as like um, a little bit of help plus me, right? I, I don't want to be um, in the servile ro- role. I don't like uh, being a pity party. I don't like being on the receiving end of handouts. So I want you to help me but it's going to be you plus me, right? Uh, we tend to do this a lot in uh, in religion as well, in Christianity specifically. In some ch- church traditions, like it's like hardcore, right? You haven't read your Bible enough. You haven't prayed enough. You haven't been to work at church enough. You haven't whatever, enough, right? You haven't done enough rosary beads, enough. Like it's all like your effort plus a little bit of help, right? Well, the guys in the story that we're looking at, they had a lot of help, but they still tried to insert themselves in it, didn't they? Right, we, we like to think that the way we change is Jesus plus me. We like to think that Jesus kind of got rid of the main sin problem and now we're going to kind of solve the rest on our own. We can't try harder to change ourselves because we will always have ourselves in the equation. That means when it's us trying to be the source and the power and the energy and the design. I have this, this helpful quote from Jerry Bridges. I think he gets to some of this. We are saved by grace. Now remember the, the people in the story, they have been saved by God's grace. God, without their invitation, came in and saved them. We are saved by grace, but we are living by the sweat of our own performance. We seem to believe success in the Christian life, however we define success, is basically up to us. Our commitment, our discipline, our zeal, with some help from God along the way. We give lip service to the attitude of the Apostle Paul, but by grace, by the grace of God I am what I am. But our unspoken motto is, God helps those who help themselves. We, we have a problem beneath the problem, right? We have a problem beneath the problem, and that problem is us. We are just like these people in the story. We don't want God's help without a little bit of some of our own effort in there. We like to put ourselves in the mix. We like, we like to think that, well... Really, the reality is that God wants me to do this, but I, 
I'm going to kind of figure it out on my own. God, God wants to help me. He wants to change me. But I, I really, I have a pretty good idea of what I'm doing. Thanks, God. But that's not the gospel. We will always be in our own strength, left to ourselves, restless and powerless to change ourselves. Right? We can, we can kind of adjust our idols around. Right? We can give up. Um, I'm going to stop doing this. But the reality is, I'm going to stop. Um, let's pick an example. I'm going to stop being greedy, and I'm going to instead serve people because I feel better when I serve people instead of being greedy. But what you're doing is you're just saying. Instead of taking things from other people, I'm going to manipulate other people to give me a good feeling about myself. Right? We're, we're, we're adjusting our idols around. And that's not the way we change with the gospel. The reason the story, I think, is here is because they've been liberated from every human possible thing that could oppress them. Right? They've been liberated from being slaves, from being oppressed from being exploited. They've been liberated from being poor, right? They left Egypt and they got all the money that they could have got wanted. They've been liberated from being hungry. They've gotten all the food they could have wanted in the desert. And yet, they still have themselves with them. They have not been changed on the inside. Just like us. We must be changed by something different than all the outside things. We must be changed at the inside. And the reason I think that the story is beginning to conclude in the book of Exodus with this year is that we're waiting. We're waiting and we're yearning for the better things. Right? The, just as a comment, right? sometimes um, we look at the Old Testament and we wonder like, how much of this are we supposed to obey or listen to or do. Well, the reality is that a lot of those things, Old Testament regulations, right, the Sabbath rules, like what you're supposed to do in a day off and all that stuff, those are all things that are attached to the temple and to the things in this story that are fading away. Right? Paul says that they are fading away. They, they, they point, they, they point as signposts, they point towards Jesus, but they will never be enough to change us on the inside, right? You could not do work on Saturday for the rest of your life, for example, and it will never change the inside. These things are here to make us wait and yearn for the fulfillment, which is what Paul points us to. So we're going to pick up 2 Corinthians. We're going to end with this. Because we can't change ourselves, but we still need mercy. Right? We're still like them. We still need God to forgive us. We still need God's grace to change us. We still need something better than where we're at. Because if we were to stop here, you could say, like, wow, Jacob, that was a incredibly discouraging and depressing note. <laughs> I'm horrible and I can't do anything about it. <laughs> well, that's true. You can't do anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's my self-help. <laughs> but the story doesn't end there. And the story in Exodus was not intended to leave us there either. The story in Exodus was always intended to be a signpost. We're going to, so we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians. We're just going to pick up right where we left off in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to be seeing a change. So where does Paul leave us? But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Right, true freedom 
what Paul is saying, true freedom comes from somebody else rather than from all these um, regulations, right? So, true freedom comes from somebody else rather than you. True freedom comes from Christ, not yourself, right? So true freedom comes from the Lord, right? Do you remember in the story where we, we looked at how Moses goes into God's presence and he says, God, God, forgive these people, forgive them. But Moses was still a sinner, right? Moses was still fallen. But Moses comes down the mountain and he says, here's how we come to God's presence, right? And he gives them the temple or the, the, the tabernacle and here, here's God's house and what it looks like. But all those things were done day after day, year after year, and they were never completed or perfect. And he, he says, here's, here's the priest and he's going to bring you into God's presence. He's going he's to make things right. But remember, the, the priest had to atone for his sin. He was incomplete. And, and Moses, Moses went up to a mountain to meet with God, and yet he was rejected by God because he was insufficient. Right, but, but Jesus, Jesus does all those things. Remember how we've been looking at Jesus does all those things, but he's, he's perfect, Right, he is, he's the one who comes in and embodies the presence of God. He is the son of God incarnate into a human body. He is God's presence with us. He's not just God at a distance. He is God with us. And Jesus isn't just God with us, but he's actually the one who, who feeds us God's, pres- God's presence and life. Remember how in the temple there was the bread of God's presence and through the story we've been looking at the bread of God's, God provided day by day. Jesus himself he provides out of nothing bread and food for us. He is himself the bread of life. And Jesus is the, the water of life. Remember how they got the, the, the water out of the rock? Jesus is himself. He, he quenches the thirst, the yearnings of our soul. And Jesus himself comes in and gives us the word of life because he not only is the word of life, but he speaks words that give power and change us. Jesus himself is the shepherd. Remember how God is talked about as, as shepherding his people in this story. And Moses at one point is taught, called the, the shepherd of Israel. He, Jesus is the shepherd, right? He doesn't just kind of lead his people bumbling around trying to figure out what we're doing. Jesus himself shepherds his people personally, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd now because Jesus is your shepherd is true. And Jesus himself, like Moses pleads for his people and walks up a mountain, right? Moses goes into a mountain of God's holy mercy and Jesus walks up a mountain into God's holy wrath. That's why just a few verses later, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? Moses could not substitute himself for his people. He could, he could plead in their place. He could say, God, forgive us. Forgive them. But Jesus actually took the place. He walked not into God's mercy. He walked into God's wrath for us. He took our place in a way that Moses could never do. He embodied all the ways in which God was giving them mercy and grace and bringing them near to himself, and he took them all in his body. He took all of the wrath of God for our sin on himself for the idolatry and the the pagan ways we live our lives, (laughs) 
right? All the silly things and the things that are destructive and sinful and broken about us. Jesus took the wrath of God in our place for those things, right? For all, all the ways that we have snubbed and ignored and hated and violated and lusted after and abused and used our neighbors and ourselves and each other. Those things, like Pharaoh in Egypt, should bind us forever. But Jesus comes in and breaks the power of them over us by mercifully taking our, our place under God's wrath. So that the mercy that God gives us that was incomplete for Moses is now complete and perfect for us. Because Jesus has sealed all the wrath of God and done away with it. He's drunk the cup of God's wrath. There's nothing left for us. And he's taken, he's actually purchased the, the, penalty, the penalty for our sin and canceled it. So that there's no longer a penalty for sin over us. There's no longer, in Christ, the Lord who is the, the, freedom, the spirit of freedom. The reason that we're free in God's presence, because there's nothing, there's nothing to be guilty about. Right? There's nothing to be, there's nothing that they have to pay God for anymore, right? There's no payment for sin that we have to make. There's nothing that we owe to a slave master for sin anymore. We are freed from those things that would bind us, right? The idiosyncrasies, the things that never seem to go away, the things that don't seem to change very easily or quickly. Those things are no longer the things that define us. It is the Lord the spirit of freedom because now everything that's true about Jesus <clears throat> is now true about us. See, the best that they could have gotten in the book of Exodus, everything that was true about Moses was true about them. I don't know about you, Moses might be a great guy. I don't want everything about him to be true about me. I want everything that's true about Jesus to be true about me. And that is the gospel, right? Everything that's true about him is now true about us. That's what it means when he says the righteousness, we've now become the righteousness of God. Everything is true about Jesus is not true about us. It's true about us in every way. So that now when we look at Jesus, we see who we are. So that's why when he says, so we all with unveiled face, remember the hardness of heart that, that Moses was doing the parable for with the veil? When we look to Jesus, that veil is lifted from our hearts and we see him, we want him, and we want to be like him. And the glory of this passage is that we become like him. Right? Remember how Moses, when he saw God, he become, kind of shines, becoming a bit like God. Then when we look at Jesus and we see him in the gospel and we see who he is and we learn about him from the word, we now see him for who he is. And and it changes our, our hearts, right? Our, our hearts are affected. We, we want him. We want to be like him. We become like him slowly. And I, I, that's the thing I love about this. Paul is very pastoral, right? He gives us kind of a, he gives us kind of, okay, okay, simmer down. It doesn't happen instantaneously, right? And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is to say, day by day, right? Day by day. It, it, Jesus has got you. Day by day, look at him and see him and you will become like him. And his mercy will define you and shape you and remold you day after day. Because there are more things wrong with you than you realize, right? <laughs> but Jesus' mercy, because he is not looking for you to add to his work, to help him, 
His mercy comes in perfectly able to empower you to change. Now, we're not saying there's no effort required in changing, right? So we'll talk about that another time. We're not saying holiness is just kind of like let go and let God. We're not saying like all you have to do is just get used to who you are in Jesus. No, this is a hard work. But the heart and the core and the engine of who you are is changed, not by the work that you do on yourself to kind of put the pieces back into place. It's by looking at Jesus. Jesus, I, I want to be more like you. I see who you are. I see the perfect grace of God. I see that now in Christ, I am freed to receive heaven. I'm free to be to join and be with God's people like we're doing right now, to hang out, to be with them, to enjoy fellowship with each other, to walk beside each other. Right? I'm free to enjoy the God's presence with me. I'm free to enjoy all the promises of God for me, right? All the promises that God has given us in his word, I'm free to enjoy them and take them to God, right? I'm, I, I'm invited to take God's promises to the bank and say, God, you have bound yourself to answer these. I'm free to do that, <laughs> right? If you, if you don't take God's promises to him, you're kind of missing out on what he's invited you into. Like God has bound himself to respond to his promises. And so now we are free to take his promise. God, no good thing do you withhold from those who walk upright with God. I, I, I plead, help me. I need your help. You've promised to help me. Right? We are freed not only from the wrath of God and from his frown, but we're freed into the, the pleasure of his smile upon, upon us. We're freed to have his favor on us. We're free to have his care for all of our needs. We are free to walk in this liberty, to enjoy the goodness of God with us. So now the God of Exodus, who could not, because he was holy, dwell with sinful people. And Jesus, because he's holy and merciful, he dwells with us. All right, and we get more of Jesus day by day. And then one day, we will be free from these bodies of death and the sin that clings so near and we'll be freed into his presence and we'll enjoy God's face forever. I read this little line from Richard Sibbs that I thought was so incredibly faith-filling. As much as these souls of ours are capable of, they shall be made free and glorious and happy in heaven. God will leave no part of the soul unfilled no corner of the soul empty. One day, we will be so free in God's presence that we will be filled by the happiness of God forever and ever and ever. Right? That's the mercy that God has perfected for us in Jesus. And all we have to do is see him. Right? We, right the invitation of the gospel is to see the free and perfect mercy of God in Jesus. And in that perfect mercy, we are changed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would help us to see more of Jesus together. Lord, would we delight to know him and to treasure him and to be with him. Lord, would you give us faith for the days ahead and mercy that we would walk with him until we see you face to face. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.